This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. In Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 8th, episode 2092. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. And we're back. It's the second Tuesday of the month, and Karen is here to talk everything endurance. How are you doing, Karen? Hi. Good morning. Doing pretty good. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, You've had a tough start to your 2019. (laughs) Yes. We, yes, I did. It involved a trip to the emergency room, which is something I haven't done for 18 years. Oh, wow. You are, you are way better than your average horse person. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. It used to be an ongoing joke, you know, cause I would have the dumbest things happen, but honestly, I haven't been injured by a horse, honestly, for like 18 years. And so this didn't involve a horse. And my poor husband, he says, I cannot listen to your show because I can't bear to relive it. And I was like, you, (laughs) I do feel really bad for him because it was a total freak accident. He didn't mean to do it. We were playing disc golf and just practicing and warming up. We weren't even actually playing yet. And he threw his disc and it went where it shouldn't have gone and he yells duck and I turn around I didn't even see it coming and bam right into my upper lip and teeth so it knocked three of my teeth loose it totally split my lip so I ended up getting 14 stitches I had to get dental x-rays you know the teeth are still um get you know they're okay nothing was actually broken but it It's taking a little bit. I mean, it's been a week and they're still really sore, but I've got three layers of stitches on the outside of my lip, inside of my lip and my gums. Uh, uh, And so I've, this is one heck of a way to start a diet in the new year, which I wasn't really intending on at least nothing this serious, but I've basically been on liquid for the last week. Oh, so. man. It, Let me get this straight. He threw a Frisbee and hit you in the face, and it did all that damage? What, well, what did he throw it with? Oh, my God. I know. I was like 100 feet away, too. So, uh, but the discs for the disc golf are harder plastic, and they've got uh, a more okay. of an edge than a regular Frisbee. I wish it had been just a regular Frisbee. because A regular Frisbee wouldn't have done all that. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Gosh, well, the, and then the funny thing is, is I don't know if he had Neil Duck. Who knows? He might have just knocked me unconscious, hitting me in the back of the head. I don't really know, wow. but I had no clue. I mean, I didn't see it coming. I had no clue. And um, 
So anyway, one way to okay, start off. Okay, you're just going to have to wear a helmet all the time. When you leave the house, you're <laughs> yes. wearing a helmet. That's a hockey it. helmet. Like a hockey helmet. The one with the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the joke was, is I should have gone riding. I, it would have been <laughs> safer. safer. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, let's let's take a break for from the intensity of disc golf <laughs> injuries and hear what's coming up on today's show. Today on the endurance episode, we talk about sheepskins, the history of endurance with Don Kerr, the Maggie Price Endurance Excellence Award winner Cheryl Van Dusen joins us. And Leisha Schneider, Board of Directors member on the new rule changes for 2019 ride season, which apparently aren't too extensive. And also, today is National Bubble Bath Day. So enjoy the bubbles while you listen to today's Horses in the Morning. But please don't take us or send us any selfies because that probably violates some safe sport rule and we don't want to get in trouble. No. So enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Speaking of safe sport, good segue, Glenn. Dang, you're good. I tried. <laughs> you I, tried. I know. I've been doing it a little while. Yeah. Speaking of safe sport, um, you took the safe sport train. Now, first of all, tell us why you did it and then tell us all about the process. I did. I mean, I've been sponsoring juniors for like 20 years in endurance. Um, and now I have, you know, one that writes with me pretty regularly. And so I thought, well, I, I wanted to be educated on the topic and, it, you know, AERC is still kind of working out what their plan is going to be as far as what's going to be required or not required or whatever. So I went ahead because I have a free fan membership with USEF and I took the training class and it's like three different modules. They're about 30 minutes each and you go through and you have to watch some videos and read some stuff and take a little test at the end of each one. And then when you're finished, they give you a certificate that shows that you're safe sport trained and it actually was really good because a lot of stuff I I think that is now considered inappropriate you know a generation ago um like especially as far as bullying and stuff goes um it's it's a much more serious issue people take things a little bit more you know, serious about how it's affecting our youth. And I think everybody really does want to keep our kids safe. And so I went ahead and took the course and it really wasn't that big of a deal. You can do it while you're, you know, uh, you know, you don't got to do it all at once. So you could take, a, you know, one section today and another section tomorrow. Um, but ultimately this is a federal law that is going to affect a lot of different organizations and groups and so I went ahead and, and took it and um, I'm looking forward to AARC uh, telling us exactly what's going to be required probably by their convention in March. Mm -hmm. Well that's interesting an interesting point that you brought up that I did not think of because um, all equestrian sport that is at the national level is required to have some kind of program, all sports period to, uh, that will deal with safe sport. And mm -hmm. they all use the same module. So somebody who is involved in the sport of youth hockey is using the exact same safe sport training as you just did. And right. what, it, what it's going to do is everybody's going to have the same reference point because you made a very excellent point for some of us. We're going to go in and do that and go, Oh, that's interesting. Something that 
25 or 30 years ago, we might not have thought twice about because it was there. Right. Society changes, cultures change, is now considered inappropriate, and we need to know. So everybody uh-huh. has the, the same thing, and it's kind of like when you go to public school in the United States, everybody has a, a the same, if very similar curriculum, so you kind of know what everybody knows. And that's a great right. reason for somebody who, even though you didn't have to take it, it's a good reason to take it because now you know. <laughs> right. You know, yes, and, and you can't, they're... you're not going to inadvertently break a rule or cause an issue that's going to exactly. make, make a, a problem for you five years from now. Right. Right. And I listened to the podcast episode mm-hmm. that, that came out over the weekend, which mm-hmm. I encourage others to go and listen to because that was really good as far as bringing forward some of the complications that can happen mm-hmm. with this. And and it really is a complicated issue. And it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves and how it's going to end up affecting and you know, endurance riding as a sport as well as all the other equestrian sports where there are um, minors or children involved. Right, right. Um, I think that's the second time they've covered that topic. So I'm going to see if I can. Right. Yeah. It's a podcast 105. And if you go to Horse Radio Network and click on podcast, you'll see episode 105. I think there's one previous to that as well that we went over a little bit more of exactly what safe sport is. If you're Mm -hmm. completely unfamiliar with it, Um, if you have a minute, dig around in the previous episodes to that. I think Bonnie was the same guest on that one as well. Um, to get, It'll kind of give you an overview of what the whole thing is and why it has been implemented. Because I think when that first came out for horse people, horse people were a little put out. It's like, why are you targeting us? We're no worse than anybody <laughs> else, which maybe isn't a really good excuse. But um, <laughs> this is for all, as, as I said, it's for all national s- sport. Um, and it, that was something that was put through by the powers that be. So we've got it. We're stuck with it. And there we go. Um, so, that, well, good on you for, for being, you know, forward thinking and taking that and, and including us all. Yeah. Into it. Yeah. Yeah. So on to the next topic. Dogs. The next topic. <laughs> dogs. Yes. We all have, a lot of us have dogs quite a bit. Quite a few endurance writers I know have dogs. And this one dog, we got she was a rescue from the Nevada Humane Society and she was advertised as a cattle dog although we knew it was not real she was just masquerading as one because she (laughs) doesn't have any of the traits (laughs) she's just very cute sweet lazy and so for Christmas I got my husband a DNA test on on this dog named Sammy and we thought that she probably did have some cattle dog in her and Australian shepherd is what we thought. Cause she's about the right size. She's got a long coat, same kind, you know, just that's kind of what she looks like. Well, turns out there's no Australian shepherd in her at all. <laughs> <laughs> she's 25% border collie, 25% McNabb, 12 and a half percent cattle dog. 12.5% golden retriever, 12.5% Akita, and the rest is mixed. Well, she is so a cocktail, isn't she? The irony is that she's basically made up of herding breeds, but the only thing you can ever get this dog to herd would possibly be a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> now, is she herding the rabbit or is she chasing the rabbit? Well. <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
<laughs> pretty much chasing it. Yes. Yeah. She's actually, she's the best hunter of any other dogs we've got. Um, if there is um, the unfortunate, uh, you know, chance that there's a rabbit in our yard, she will catch it. Um, there we go. And, can you send her, will she do the same for squirrels? And if so, will you send her over to our house for a couple of weeks? Yeah, she would. She, she keeps the property pretty cleared every, but other than that, she's the laziest dog. I guarantee you she's on my bed curled up sleeping right now. <laughs> I have one quick question. What is a McNabb? A McNabb is like a type of a collie uh, that's been bred. It's more like a, a, a shorter haired version huh, and it was also bred to be a herding. It's a herding dog. Huh. Learn something every day. So, yeah. And so we were a little surprised, um, especially by the Akita, which is, I guess that's the national dog of Japan. Didn't know and, that. and yeah. And so we weren't expecting that. And, and I think the other biggest surprise was that she didn't have the Australian shepherd in her that we thought, hmm. Was there. So, yeah, she's been faking us out ever since we got her. <laughs> I, think, I think mixed breed dogs are very good at that because there's so many different types. I remember exactly. reading I remember reading uh -huh. some research that somebody did a while back, uh, and they did some research on um, street dogs, just feral dogs that lived in the streets of uh -huh. Shanghai or someplace. And they found that left to their own devices, these weren't wild. These were domesticated dogs that had become feral. Because they didn't have owners for whatever reason. Okay. That the they defaulted to a particular type. In other words, after a certain number of generations, it didn't matter if it was a uh -huh. poodle, a golden retriever, an Akita, a McNabb, or whatever. After a certain number of generations of them all mixing together randomly, uh -huh. they all started to look the same again. Wow. Yeah, it was fascinating stuff and how a certain hair uh, hair coat type and a certain body type and a certain shape structure shape yes um, yes nature went back that nature chose that it was very interesting i'll have to try to find the study sometime and stuff it up on the the uh, facebook page all right yeah we just kind of figure that these breeds must must just cancel each other out yeah, there you go <laughs> well you can only have so many dominant traits right every time you have genes that get together one has to be dominant and one has to be recessive no so you kidding. can only have so many dominants Exactly. I mean, she, this dog, she will not chase a toy she, unless, of course, you're throwing food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, forget it. Yeah. So Maybe that was kind of one thing. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> that could be. She's, uh, and she's the easiest keeper. I, I always seem to end up with animals that are easy keepers, in, whether it's horses or dogs or myself. Well, good on you. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that means they're happy too. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of happy, I bet you you're happy about this. 2018, 46 new AERC decade teams. And that's a pretty big number. Explain what a decade team that is. is. It is. It's pretty cool that decade team is when the same horse and rider have completed at least one 50 mile endurance ride for at least 10 ride seasons. Wow. Uh, and so it's kind of pretty cool. It was an idea that I came up with and I worked on it and I did interviews and put them all together and the idea caught on. It became very popular within the AARC membership. And then after about 10 years of me working on it, AARC actually adopted it as an official program, which is really 
kind of cool. In fact, yeah. one of our guests is that's going to be joining us later has four decade team horses. Wow, which is pretty darn cool. And yeah. um, actually, so do I. <laughs> you, you have two at least, right? I have four. Four. I, my, in fact, it, yes, it was my first endurance horse that gave me the idea when I first started working on it. Uh, that was Dreamweaver, and then I had Rocky. And then now, of course, I'm writing Chief, who's completed 17 ride seasons, and Bo, who is, I believe, in his 12th, going on 13th ride season. So to give somebody who's not familiar with endurance an idea of, because big deal, 150 mile race a year for 10 years, about how long, if you were to average it for your average Joe Schmo amateur endurance rider, how long Mm -hmm. does it take to complete a single 50 mile ride in one day? I think for most people, I would say it's probably in the seven to eight hour range. Okay, so you're riding for seven to eight hours across open terrain that you may not be familiar with. And while you're doing it, are you walking? Usually not. No, not if you want to finish in the cutoff time. You're trotting and cantering for seven to eight hours straight. Oh, my gosh. And and. In order to get to that point, you've put in quite a bit of time conditioning, preparing. I always say the hardest part about doing an endurance ride is just getting to the starting line. (laughs) It's a lot of work. You know, you've got to get yourself ready, your horse ready, your gear, your equipment. Uh, You know, there's a lot involved just getting to the starting line. It's a big commitment. And in order to do that for a full decade, you know, you're you're pretty well dedicated at, at that point mm-hmm. to, you know, be doing this for, for this long and to keep a horse going and going soundly, which is really kind of cool because in a lot of sports, the horses aren't lasting 10 years or more. Right. A 10-year long career in many disciplines is unheard of. Right. Yeah. And so this, and this is, you know, 50 miles or more, which, you know, that's, that's quite a, you know, athletic feat that you're asking out of a horse. And it's just pretty cool to see how it's grown and that, that most years we're getting 40 or more new decade team members. So that's pretty cool. It's It's pretty amazing too, that the riders, because this is a team, it has to be the same horse and rider that the riders Uh are sticking with the discipline for that long. That's pretty exciting for the, for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, once you get doing it, it it can be really addictive. <laughs> it's like crack. <laughs> once you start, it's really hard to stop. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, my gosh. Well, we've been trying to do this this little tip for the past three shows. We're finally going to get to it today. Doggone it, we're going to do this. Your inter- endurance tip for this month is all about uh, your RV or your living quarters trailer and the things that you probably should have done. And if you haven't, you'd better do it quick. (laughs) Like a couple months ago. To make sure it survives the winter. (laughs) Right. There are different, you know, there's different regions where people like where you are may not ever need to winterize your RV or your horse trailer. We have to summarize Um, ours. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, one of the things I, you know, you really need to make sure you do correctly is to make sure everything, all your water is drained. Because the worst thing is if you forget to empty out a tank or drain your lines is it, you know, the freezing and thawing out, it eventually will crack your 
your uh, PVC lines and it'll also damage your valves. And so then that, I mean, that's the worst when you end up, uh, you know, going to your first ride in the spring or summer and all of a sudden your um, living quarters is now flooded full of water because something's leaking and you didn't, you know. So it's really important to drain your water to use a uh, non-toxic RV antifreeze if uh, you can. Um, You know, you can, you know, depending on the climate you're in and how careful you want to be, you can use an air compressor to blow the lines out to make sure you get all of the water out. One of the things I usually do, like if I'm coming back from a ride in October, November, and I know I'm going to be needing to um, winterize my trailer is I will make sure and open up all the faucets and valves um, for my trip home. And then that way, as I'm oh, driving and going down the up road. and down, yeah. yes, everything ends up draining and coming out. So you want to make sure, you know, you, you empty your holding tanks, you drain out your lines, you open up the, the faucets and the valves on if you have a shower, uh, you know, a sink in your, in the bathroom or in the kitchen area. Make sure all that's opened, everything's drained. Um, you usually you have to open up on the outside of your trailer. There's usually a drop down door where you can um, flip the switch on your um, hot water tank, and you want to make sure that also gets drained. And so you just want to make sure that everything's cleaned out, you know, that the, like I said, the holding tanks are emptied. So your toilet's clean, you know, put, put, or even run through some, um, the antifreeze. And I pour a little bit of that a cup or so down each of my drains. And it's just, you know, that it's all something that's really important to do. I also plug my trailer into power so that it keeps the batteries from draining down. Now, I think different um, units are set up a little differently as to plugging them into power. So make sure you check on your particular unit because depending on how your unit is set up and what kind of batteries it has, you can actually kill the battery leaving it plugged in all the time. So read the instruction manual. Exactly. And same thing for, you know, everything else as far as your different appliances go, you know, check your batteries for your um, um, smoke detector or carbon monoxide detectors. If you have them, you know, it's a good time to just kind of go over everything and you should have some manuals to some of these things. And of course there's always um, the internet. So you can go if you're not sure about something and just Google it and, make sure that you're getting everything done properly. I also like to make sure if my trailer is going to be sitting for very long or even my truck, you know, to start it up. And I like to move the trailer so that it's not sitting in the same position for very long at a time because it tend the tires tend to kind of want to flatten out. And I keep my tires also covered so that they're protected from the sun. Cause that, actually, that, yeah, that's something that when we got this new trailer, that we went and bought tire covers because it will age your tires much faster being in the direct sun. It yeah. does. Yes. And the tires only have like about a three year lifespan, yep. whether you use them or not. Yeah. I always love to see ads for horse trailers. Yeah. Um, tires have great tread. It's like, okay, that's <laughs> awesome. But they're 15 they're years, 25 old. years old. It doesn't matter. 
<laughs> doesn't matter because the first time you go on a long trip, you're going to be gonna pop. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that is no fun. That's just part of trailer maintenance and yep. horses. They're, they're maintenance and work. Maintenance work. <laughs> and I might, I might add this one, having had experience with it is make sure that you check your, your vehicle, your unit, whether it's an RV or a living quarters for leaks in the roof. And get those mm-hmm. fixed because they're going to get worse because water will get into the cracks. It will freeze and expand right. the cracks and make them worse. And if you don't have uh, funds or time to fix those, at least cover your trailer up. Either put it in one of those I little eat. carports or a tarp or whatever. Um, yeah, because if you've oh, got yes. leaks, they're going to get way worse over the winter and you're going to have one gnarly unit come springtime. Exactly. And you don't want to be at an endurance ride either and finding out, you know, drip, drip, drip (laughs) that you've got a leak. And even worse than the drip, drip, drip is the fact that that moisture that you see coming in above your head has traveled Uh six feet across the trailer between the outer wall and the inner wall, destroying everything Uh in its path. (laughs) Exactly. That's the nasty part is it doesn't just come straight through a hole. It's, it's It's an ugly deal. So, uh those are great tips for your RV. And you have a link in the show notes here for winterizing and storing video that we will add to our show notes. So you can go to Horses okay, in the good. Morning and look up today's episode, January 8th, 2019, and check out that video. And right now, I think we've got Kristen from Distance Depot here to tell us all about Merino sheepskin. Woohoo! Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. How are you? Doing pretty good. Happy New Year. Good. Happy New Year. <clears throat> well, tell us about your sheepskins. Okay. Um, all of our sheepskin are hand cut right here in our shop in Peculiar, Missouri. They are made from 100% merino wool. Um, our skins actually now, um, the backside of them where you used or would usually see the leather, they are backed with a soft, like a cheesecloth type material just because the distributor that we get these from uses them um, quite often in high-end automobiles, which I thought was kind of interesting, motorcycles and all kinds of, I'm sure, fancy Harleys and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But um, it's good. It protects the saddle. these are fabulous because if you do, if you haven't ridden w- with one before, I I will say you're missing out. Um, I just had a gal in our store the other day, and she's like, "I ride in that thing. I would never take that thing off. I can't go without <laughs> it. Um, they're just so comfortable." And the nice thing about them is, no matter where you live, if you live in a hot climate or a cold climate, and of course, where most of us are riding in the cold and the heat, um, these keep you cool in the summer and warm in the winter. So that's a benefit of the wool, Um, not to mention no pinching from stirrup leathers and so on. Um, So very comfortable. Um, We have a pretty wide variety of saddle covers. We have English full covers for your English saddles, and we have, you know, dressage all-purpose. We have seat onlys also for the English saddles, so we have a, you know, they're sort of sized out, <clears throat> pardon me, for small saddles up to oversized because some of the larger dressage saddles are very deep. Um, and, of course, then we have endurance covers. Uh, we have one specifically made for the Bob Marshall, 
and also a full western, which would cover the entire length of your leg area. So on a fender, I actually use the full western on my Orthoflex Endurance Cutback, even though it has an English skirt. I just mm-hmm. anchor the little Velcro down to my stirrup top bar, and that way my biathane strip leathers don't pinch me. Um, I used to have to ride with gaiters, and I don't have to anymore just because the cover makes it so comfortable, and it's cooler without a gaiter on my leg. So I like I, I just like riding in the full Western. But um, we also have girth covers and breast collar ring protectors for that center ring in the chest on your breast collar. Of course, stirrup leather covers for English saddles all the way up to um, a wide biathane cover. And girth covers, um, noseband covers if you have an S. Hackamore. Um, and we actually have a halter tube set for your halter. So all kinds of great accessories um, and even a seatbelt cover for your car. <laughs> <laughs> so that thing's always pesky, Robin, um, especially in the summer with short sleeves and stuff. So. Um, well, yeah, especially as much as endurance riders spend driving to rides. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to exactly. be comfortable all the time. Yeah, and, and they come in four different colors. We have black, natural, and brown all the time, and they can also be ordered in navy blue, which we can typically um, get made up within a day or so. So um, lots of great options there to keep you warm and cool in the saddle. Right, and these are really good quality sheepskins too, aren't they? They are. Um, I would say for the most part, of course, every sheep is a little different, but um, they try to send us the thickest skins um, that are at least an inch thick, so pretty nice and cushy um, for those long hours in the saddle and or in your girth area if you have a horse that has, you know, rubbing or galling issues. Um, and, and they're easy to, to care for. I've not really washed mine. I take a little wire brush if it gets a little matted up, like those little wire poodle brushes, and uh-huh. gently brush the lower leg area. Um, other than that, they stay pretty clean. If yours does get really kind of grungy, they can be hand-washed or washed in the washing machine um, on cold with cold water. And um, I would recommend just using a non-alkaline solution. Um, I like the leather therapy laundry solution because it's made for leather and these are real skins. So it helps to keep the skin supple. Um, but a, a baby shampoo or something again, non-alkaline will okay. um, do the trick. And tell us what's your website and your phone number. We are www.thedistancedepot.com and you can reach us via email at info at thedistancedepot.com or give us a call toll-free 866-863-2349. Terrific. Well, thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Have a great show. Bye-bye, Kristen. Bye, Jen. (laughs) I have a uh, sheer comfort seat saver and I... Love Aren't they great? It. And she does, do she too. makes a good point because they're a nice, dense, thick seat saver. When you get the ones that are fake, that aren't real sheepskin, uh-huh. um, uh, yep. it's it's nice and fluffy for about six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's sheepskin and it's the whole sheepskin and not just the fluff on top, um, it really it really has durability. And the reason I got mine is in the summertime. And at the time, I was riding in a leather saddle, not a synthetic saddle like I am now. And even in a leather saddle, in the summertime, your butt gets sweaty. I'm sorry. 
Um, <laughs> and it just makes things more comfortable. Your butt doesn't get all hot and sticky and sweaty so much and, and just things are happier there. So I'm looking, really actually, I'm kind of looking forward to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's sweaty and then there's sweaty. Right. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Well, it looks like I we've got our next guest on the line here, Dawn. Terrific. Okay, our next guest is Dawn Kerr, and she has been a longtime endurance writer. She knows an awful lot about the early history of endurance riding and the Western States Trail. So I'm excited to get to talk to her. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. I'm just getting over a cold, but I'm hanging in there. <laughs> oh, good. And Dawn runs uh, Endurance Writing History page on Facebook. Just search for Endurance Writing History and you can find it. There's a lot of neat old photos posted. She's been doing live videos and a lot of neat stuff. Um, so if you're interested in the history of endurance, you definitely need to check out our Facebook page. So, Dawn, tell us, how did you get started in endurance? And what year was that? <laughs> well, um, I always tell people I started before I was born because my mom and dad met on Tevis. Um, my grandfather was involved, you know, before that. And my mom was a young girl. So, she was riding pregnant with me and then I was raised in the saddle with my ponies riding with her and uh, Paige Harper was her riding partner. He kind of mentored her in the sixties and got her through Tevis. And um, so I was always riding with them and sometimes with Wendell and his groups on my pony. So yeah. I've been doing it my whole life. I was born in 62. So um, officially that's, I guess when I started. Right. And so you live in an area close to the Western States Trail then, I take it. Yes. Yes. I was actually born in uh, Auburn and I left for a little while, lived in Nevada for a bit and then came back. But um, I was born on Roby Point and uh, the hospital at the time then was called the Highland Hospital here in Auburn. And it was it's an old Victorian, which is now an old folks home, I think, but right out on Roby Point. And that's where I was born. So um, I've been here my whole life. <laughs> so it's in your blood. Yes. That's that's pretty cool. So both of your parents rode endurance? Actually, no. My mom, uh, you know, was associated with it because my grandfather was a businessman in Auburn and knew Wendell Roby. And so my mom was raised around it. But... Um, my father was a cowboy, and many of the endurance riders in the 60s and into the 70s were just cowboys. And uh, and so he was working at a ranch in Auburn. Um, Randy Steffen is the, I think he was the editor, but also the artist for Western Horseman magazine in the early days, uh, since passed. But he had a ranch here in Auburn, and my father was cowboying there and doing art for him and a horse went off the trail on Tevis in 60 or 61 and Wendell needed help getting this horse off the cliff up by Deadwood and so my dad was called on he he got a hold of Randy because Randy had been involved with the early days of the trail ride 
And um, so my mom was the young girl that was just a friend and a volunteer that would hike up and down this cliff while uh, my dad sat down with this horse for, I think, two days until Wendell could round up a helicopter and she would take him sandwiches and coffee and she was like 19. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> they fell in love and then that's how it all happened. But my dad never did ride endurance. He was always a cowboy, he moved back to Nevada. Um, and that's when I was living in Nevada was because of my dad. Cool. And I've seen some of the interesting videos that you've been posting and sharing of some of the historical trail. How did you come to get to get those? Well, the, um, the one that I just, I had a watch party this weekend was for the 1931 film. Um, it was done by the native sons of the golden West. And, uh, that was property of the trail foundation. It, it actually, one of the men in it, Lucan's, uh, his grandson had these films, I think 16 millimeter or whatever in cans that mm-hmm. had been located and transferred. So that's how those came around. And um, I was working on a film project with those and, and hope to still make um, a, a documentary just about the history of the trail uh, and center it around that. It was a pretty pivotal film because that the trail itself was from the gold rush era of everybody leaving the gold fields and heading to Nevada and wanting a shortcut. And a lot of those mining towns were in the canyons, which are now vet checks. But, Mm -hmm. um, so that's when it originated and then they lost track of it. And, uh, so in 1931, they remarked it or we would have lost it forever. And Wendell was on that ride. So, um, it's a pretty neat film. And then we've just gotten, uh, a friend of mine found it on eBay, the only other film that I know between 1931 and basically when everybody started getting beta cams and, you know, filming stuff themselves in maybe the 80s, was uh, 1964, professionally done by probably a local TV station. It was found in an estate sale, wow. black and white film featuring the um, the Tevis Cup and uh it's about 45 minutes long. We're currently digitizing it and trying to restore it. So um, we haven't even seen it yet. This just happened last week. So I'll be having a watch party for that soon. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. And so I know you're also working on opening a Western States trail museum. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, Terry Reed is the, it was kind of her brainchild. Um, she serves on the Western States uh, Board of Governors and a historical committee and wanted to start a museum for, well, I was on the board 15, 20 years ago and we always wanted to do this and it was just kind of a low priority and hasn't been done. So she and um, several others have kind of put our heads together and said, let's just get our own nonprofit, get our own funding and just make it happen. It's long overdue. And um, we have so much memorabilia that has to do with the trail. So it wouldn't actually be a Tevis museum, even though uh, we're in Auburn. So that's what people think of. It would be a Western States trail museum, which is also used for the, the 100 
uh, run and um, and just for pleasure. And it has a lot of history. So it would be a trail museum. And we're in very early stages with that, but it'll be located in Auburn. That's interesting. I, I think the inter- endurance history is always fascinating, you know, to hear and learn more about. So I... Uh, Given that you grew up around endurance, did you spend a lot of time at Tevis every year? Yeah, well, my um, grandfather, since he knew Wendell, he was on the Board of Governors in, I don't know, like 1959 or 60. Wendell actually didn't take over the ride until, I think, 1960. The first five years, everybody usually knows it started in 55, were run by the city of Auburn and... uh, and some other people, lots of sponsors, trail riding groups. Wendell was involved, but he took over as the uh, president in 60. And so my grandfather was on that board and started running a vet check for him as a so-called head volunteer now um, Mm -hmm. for 22 years until they changed the trail. Um, And that vet check isn't there anymore, but it's at Pointed Rocks, which I think the run still uses that area in Cool. And so when I was growing up, I always volunteered at Pointed Rocks. Um, that was kind of our event. I never rode the ride. I, I never, I, I always worked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I rode 50s and had fun with that in the 80s when I got older. But um, <clears throat> growing up was always a big event, just uh, preparing for running that vet check. So what's the one thing you think has changed the most from, say, the 60s with the Tavis compared to now? Wow, so many things have changed. <laughs> First of all, it's really fun uh, having this this page on Facebook because so many people rave about the um, tack, the tack and the clothing and, you know, the gear. Um, back then, it's you rode what you had, and there wasn't as many Arabians. There wasn't any specialized tack. It was a mishmash of English saddles with Western rigging and breast collars and Martin, you know, no martingales. And it was just a really everybody had their own, you know, unique tack, and it was it was um, really fun to see these photos. But um, definitely tack and. Uh, and we look out for the horse a lot more now. The um, guidelines back then, they, it was early stages, and I do give them credit because Wendell always focused on uh, veterinary checks and um, having humane authorities there to watch because he didn't want any bad publicity of being abusive to the horses. Mm-hmm. So, um, But the standards then, you know, we just didn't know as much about feed and supplements and uh, you know, cardio um, recoveries and stuff. So the the um, requirements at the vet checks have lowered. You know, they used to be higher. Sure. They had a higher completion rate back then, but it wasn't uh, because the trail was easier. It was much harder. It was because the, the vet checks had higher uh, recovery rates. And so the horses got through uh, the vet checks easier. But um, <clears throat> definitely was a lot tougher. You know, it's like, uh, on the board, I hear when I was on the board, I used to hear so many people complain about a section of the trail as being so-called dangerous, and so we go and we try and work on prioritize fixing that section. And back in the old days, the danger was the 
the draw. All these cowboys wanted to show their skills and, and for something to be really brutal and, and accomplish it. And so that's kind uh-huh. of flip-flopped to our safety. Yeah. Right. The trail now, I think, is in the best shape probably it's ever been in. It It seems like they've done a lot of tremendous amount of work on it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I know because I first rode Tavas in the 90s <laughs> and then I, mm-hmm. I I didn't get the bug. I mean, I, I wanted to do it like once on each of my horses and, and I did that and I was happy with that. And then later on, the bug mm-hmm. found me <laughs> now, you know, and then I've done it six more times. It has on, a way of doing that. Right. But I do. It, it does seem now that the trail is is in much better shape, especially in some of those questionable spots um, compared to, you know, 20 or, or more years ago. Um, but I think yeah, it would have definitely. been a lot of fun to have gotten to ride back in the 60s just to, to you know, uh, see the difference of what it was then you know, compared to now. So, and I'm really enjoying all yeah. your photos and the videos that you're sharing. I, I think that's great. And it's nice that it's getting, you know, preserved and more people are going to get to learn about it, you know, through your web, your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so much fun because uh, I used to have what was called the old timers barbecue and I was always considered the youngest of the old timers, you know, <laughs> all the, you know, the pioneers of the sport from the fifties and sixties that were my mom's generation, um, were our friends of the family. And so they all came, uh, once a year in the last like 15, 20 years to keep them connected because they were all becoming seniors and, and not riding anymore and seeing one another at rides anymore. So, um, it was really wonderful. And it's sad to say that almost all of them are gone. It's just, you know, <clears throat> reached kind of a lifespan on yeah. once mom was one of the young ones. But um, anyways, it's, it was so great to have uh, that connection to all of them through their stories. And um, even though I was so little on my, I had a half Arab, half Welsh pony that was a run total runaway and uh that's what I rode when I was little I never did rides as a a junior I just I just rode the conditioning rides with my mom Uh and um this little pony could keep up and uh so it was it was people just rode like crazy you know I mean they just there was no strategy as much you know as far as cardio and cross training and heart rate monitors all you just road it was like in the movie mm-hmm. you know you just rode and you rode fast and hard and uh, and then you know drank a lot of beer and partied and it's amazing that they survived it you know <laughs> on the trails that they had back then and the danger you know with the cliffs and the rocky sections and going over them so fast and you look at the ride times and they were just as fast if not faster sometimes and um it's it's amazing that they flew over in their you know, in regular steel shoes, uh, all the bogs and all the rocks. And uh-huh. um, anyways, it's it, it was just a whole different world, definitely. <laughs> well, it's been so fun talking to you. And uh, maybe we'll get you back on and we'll go over some more of the history once you get that new video. Um, yes. Yeah, we're up. hoping... 
Yeah, get that going. If if you go to the Facebook page, um, I'll be updating that. And also information about the museum will be on there as it develops. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you, Dawn. Have a great day. Hope you feel better. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Dawn. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I know she's getting over a cold. Yeah, that was fascinating. Endurance writing history on Facebook on the on Facebook, and anybody who's a a a history buff of the equestrian sport of any kind should should just enjoy that a lot. It's a, it's very it's cool. To, it's always cool to look at old video. <laughs> Being a history buff. Yeah, well, it's just really, really cool to see. You know, like she said, the the one video was from like the 1930s of the Tabas Trail. That's kind of cool, you know, to get to see see what it's like. So we have our next guest ready? We do. And before we get to our next guest, she mentioned steel shoes and craziness. But I think (laughs) modern endurance riders have other options. Why don't you tell us about your favorite? There's a lot of other options. One of them is one of our show sponsors, Renegade Hoof Boots. They are made in the United States, which is wonderful. Come in several different colors. There's two different models, the regular classic Renegade boot, the Viper boot. They've also got a glue-on model, uh, which I used on Tevis this past year. I've also used the strap-on model on Tevis. Uh, They're very uh, easy to use, user-friendly. The company is great to work with, with helping riders, you know, get the measurements and the appropriate model and and size of boots to work with. Um, and they're great for going over all those rocks on endurance rides and or pavement. And uh, I've been using them for many thousands of miles on my own horses. And so to learn more about Renegade Hoof Boots, go to renegadehoofboots.com. There we go. Great for a okay. spare tire for people who are either permanently barefoot or shod. Because then you mm-hmm. can keep riding. There you go. That's right. That's right. And it looks like we've got Cheryl. We do. We have Cheryl Van Dusen, uh, who has placed really well in 2018 on three different horses and her region's point standings this year. She's also achieved her fourth decade team horse and was awarded the Maggie Price Endurance Excellence Award from USEF this year. Congratulations, Cheryl. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it's uh, it's nice to stop sometime and reflect back. We always set goals and you have things that you want to accomplish, but it's nice when people notice. It is. And it and I know it's a lot of work to I mean, you placed with three different horses in the standings. That's a tremendous accomplishment. So tell us a little bit yes, about how I- you got got started in endurance. I was actually a show person. I grew up with quarter horses, and then I switched over to appendix registered and was doing some conditioning on appendix quarter horses for racing. And then I stopped, you know, went to college, got a job, traveled extensively, and loved the hotel and resort industry. But I said, okay, what am I going to do with the next phase of my life? And so I said, I'm going to go back and get an MBA. And when I graduated, with an MBA, my dad gave me an Arabian gelding. And he and my stepmother were breeding Arabians and, and showing. And so I went right into Western pleasure and hunter pleasure. And along with 
some of the lower level dressage and, and those kinds of things and did that for several years. And then there came a point that my show horses were bored. It's like, okay, <laughs> how many times can we go around? And I also came off a fence and broke an ankle, you know, I was like, okay, so maybe jumping's not my sport. You know, I'll find someone else that's younger that can do the jumping side of things. And so I actually found competitive trail rides first through the Arabian Horse Association. And that is more of a comparison of before and after. You've got a certain time frame that you must compete in. And we started doing that. Oh, my gosh, it's hard to believe. It's been about 17, 18 years ago. And so I did competitive trail for a couple of years. And then I did an endurance ride. And I just never looked back because endurance is fun. I, I'm a university professor. And I explain it to my students as NASCAR on horses. Because uh-huh. everybody gets that analogy that you're out there racing through the forest and then you come in for a pit stop and the vets check your horses, you eat, drink, refuel, and go off again. Although, you know, I have managed to accumulate a lot of points following the AERC philosophy to finishes to win. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been the really fun part because uh, my middleweight friends hate me. Because my one year I was actually able to score five horses. Oh my in gosh! The, in the weight rankings in the southeast, and it was like, okay, my name's Mud, and they were like, okay, we're, we want you to go on a diet or gain some weight, one or the other. And well, uh, we have a I, lot of fun. You know, yeah, doing I bet you things. you've but probably had is what does it? Yeah, you've probably had some of your competitors change their weight divisions so they didn't have to compete against you. <laughs> well, I lost a lot of weight for WEG this year. And so right now it's like, okay, in winter, I'm a middleweight. In summer, probably not. So I need okay. to make a decision as I declare my weight division this year. And so, uh, yeah, it, uh, it it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, I admire what Karen does with her horses, you know, the long-term mileage, multiple-year horses, and it has served me well, not only in the AERC world, but also the international FEI world. Because last year, I think I had the number one, three, five, number uh-huh. one, three, and five ranked FEI world endurance horses. And it all came from going out to finish. And if that means dialing it back to a 23-hour hundred, then we're out there. You know, uh-huh. it's just... You do what the horse requires, and uh, you get to spend a lot of time with your horse. So I much prefer that to, you know, a 10-minute ride-around-the-ring show event. Sure. What is your favorite 100? Oh, gosh. You're going to get me in trouble with all my <laughs> AERC ride manager friends. <laughs> but one of the ones that I really, really enjoy, that I'm willing to drive 2,400 miles one way from Florida, is the Fort Howes Endurance Ride in Montana. In Montana. It's in southeastern okay. Montana. Yes. And Jan and Bill Stevens, I think they're coming up on their 25th year of the ride. And okay. the hospitality is great. The views are wonderful. It, it, you know, there are years it'll snow the first day of the ride, and the next day you'll be in shirt sleeves. Uh-huh. So you never know what's going to happen out there, but it is always lots of fun and great hospitality. And I mean, that's the other thing I like about international riding is I ride in other regions that I wouldn't r- have ridden in before. You know, I had the opportunity to go to Ridgecrest last year uh-huh. and ride uh, some of those rides and, you know, 20 mile mule team. Right. And I wouldn't do that otherwise. And it's just, it's really neat to get to see what's going on in other regions across the United States and endurance. 
Sure. Yes. And the national championship is going to be at 20 mule team this season. Yes. Yes. We were, I was come thinking back for that. about that. And uh, I am looking at that. But one of the other things that I think is really neat about this sport is that we can swap horses now, you you know, so then that's going to require a couple of rides because you got to get qualified on that horse. And uh-huh. so, you know, you might go out and ride one day hundred and then you can go back and then somebody can come over here to the East Coast and the Southeast wherever and and ride one of our horses so you know our our southeast region is looking at trying to develop a nice hundred mile mentor program uh, mm-hmm. Christo Dinkelman out of the Atlanta Georgia area is heading some things up and we want to start getting back where people will exchange horses and you know just keep the higher distance rides going because I know life's hectic we're all earning money to afford our horse habits but I I can still think back going, okay, I made it 25. I'll never go farther. And then you make it through a 50 or a 55 and you say, okay, yep, that's my limit. And even today, the 75 mile distance is probably my favorite because you can have a lot of fun and still have time to socialize and talk. To uh-huh. The 100 milers, not so much. Everybody's asleep when you come in or they're <laughs> gone before awards. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see us build the higher mileage numbers back up across the United States. How many horses do you have? Oh, currently I'm in the low 30s. I mean, I'm a <laughs> cradle till death kind of place. <laughs> and, and when I was at one a point, we were collector. campaigning for stallions. Yes. And I, I think the maximum I ever had was 74, but I'm one person. But I've got two or three that are over 30. My oldest is a mayor that's 36 years old, and she's only lost one tooth. And she goes trotting across the pasture just as happy as she can be. So, and, you know, all my retired guys, they're they're here for a while. So I've got maybe 15 or 16 in the active stream, and then the rest of them are, you know, occasional rides and, you know, retirees that are just enjoying Uh their Florida sunshine. So, but yes, it it keeps us busy. And uh, I see you took um, the horse called Hoover the Mover (laughs) to to Wag. Tell us about him. Oh, most of my horses are homebred, including Hoover. And his, uh, when he was born, we regrettably had lost his sire, a black Arabian named Ebony Masterpiece, to lighten, because that's a, one of the hazards that we face in Florida a good bit. And so when Hoover was born, I was introducing him to his mother, because I'm usually there when they fall, and he grabbed my finger. And I mean, he just latched onto it and started nursing, and I was like, whoa, it's like a vacuum cleaner. So that's how he got his name, Hoover. <laughs> and then I didn't link it to the stallion's name, because obviously... Well, regrettably, we didn't have any semen stored. And so I was like, okay, what goes with Hoover? So I called him Hoover the Mover. And uh, he's been a lot of fun. He actually has over 5,000 competition miles. You know, that is just so amazing that, you know, you're competing at at international levels long term and that he's got that much mileage. That's that's awesome. Congratulations. He's got some competitive miles. Well, thank you. And so you won't know it until next year, but in December of this year, he did two rides. He did a 50 as a tune-up, and then he did a 100 because the FEI year isn't over yet. It's a calendar year, so it didn't end until December 31st. Okay. So with the Gothi ride, the middle of December, Hoover 
entered the decade club, which wouldn't be acknowledged because it's a new eight year. Sure, it's year. a new season. But mm-hmm. I'm really proud to have him in there, and he's still going strong because he he you know went out and won the hundred mile ride, which I think we wow. had eight horses in the hundred. December 29th, and he went out and won that as well. So he's really been a lot of fun. I uh, learned how a lot along the how process. How old is he? Uber is 14. He's a 2004 model. He was born oh, okay. May 19th, 2004. Yeah. Wow. Do yeah. you have any so, tips and I've got, on, you know, on uh, managing these horses for this amount of miles and years? I'm actually, I am a big believer in preventative maintenance. And I should have bought stock in Adequan because <laughs> I do believe, you know, there are, you know, people that have generics and use them. But the one thing I will say for FEI level riding, it required me to step up my knowledge. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about horses coming from a show background, anatomy, physiology, but endurance requires us to take it to a whole new level. And especially if you want to compete at the international level. Mm-hmm. So in terms of joint maintenance and, and things that we do and the frequency, and, and I'm a big believer in chiropractic adjustments and saddle fit and acupuncture and, you know, all of that, if you take care of them, they'll take care of us. Mm-hmm. And then also... I don't spend as much time with my chiropractor as they spend with theirs, but I have to take care of me so that I'm not sure. undoing all the good things I'm trying to put in there. Mm-hmm. So, yes, still, I still took, I mean, I was taking riding lessons this summer, you know, refresher courses with excellent dressage courses, going back to the centered riding and using my ankles as shock absorbers more completely, things that can help my horse maximize his performance. And no matter how much we know, we still need a coach out there for us. Sure. And um, that, sure. that's been a nice refresher as well. Right. And every horse teaches us so much. They do. Yes. Yeah. They're all different. They've got their own personalities, what they like. Do they want to be first? Do they have to be first? No, I'd rather follow. You know, I've got another one of my long-termers, Spotless Summer Magic. She was a great show horse. And I can put lots of young riders on him. And Spotty is like, you know, leave me alone. I'm back here doing my thing. I'll <laughs> keep up. Don't worry if I'm not right behind you. But no, I don't really want to go first. And if you make me go first, then I'm going to become Spotty the cow. And I will suddenly <laughs> shy. Just, you know, I'm dead broke with a kid. But oh, no, you know, I've got my own opinions about certain things. So uh-huh. <laughs> she's, she's going, I want maternity leave. I've been promising her rest for a while. So, and I do. And that's the other thing is, is having enough horses they go on rest at different times. Sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, the historical view was in Florida, people would say, oh, it's too hot to ride in the summer. We'll shut down. Well, I travel enough. It's hot anywhere. I mean, when we were in Canada over the 4th of July up at a ride that Bob Geelan runs, it was so hot. And five mares and five women finished the hundred up there. You know, we just dial it back. Uh-huh. I can cycle it off and I can say, okay, this horse is going to be off for March, April, May, and then bring them back into the program. So they do get some, a lot of playtime, and I'm fortunate that, uh, that we've got some land. And every time I come back from an event, the horses go on vacation. And mm-hmm. people go, well, how do you keep them all fit? And it, I call it the ride-a-month club. 
because if I can keep a horse going to a ride a month, uh-huh. that gives me enough base that I can bring them up and peak them for certain events. Uh huh. And, and so, are you it, based it out all of just kind of comes together? Are you based out yes. of Florida? I'm in the Daytona Beach. Yes, I uh, I live near okay. Daytona Beach, so I'm on the east coast of Florida. So you do a lot and, of traveling. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do, and uh, I, I'm probably putting at least thirty-five to forty thousand miles a year on a truck and trailer. Okay, wow. Just, you know, it, it's fun. I mean, for the last several years, I, I did, I bumped into it one year. I went. There's a nice old ride in South Carolina called JD's Carolina Ride, mm-hmm. and it's been going like thirty-five years, I think. And Carol Thompson, one of our Southeast volunteers, is taking it over because J.D.'s going, oh, I've had about enough fun. But <laughs> we went up there one year, and we did. It's, it's always like the last ride in November. And we were all going, wait a minute, this is 50 things long. And sure enough, it was 54 miles. So they changed it, and it went to a 55. And that was the first year that I hit 2,000 miles in a season. So then that became like, oh, wow, this is a new goal that I can go for. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, you know, and it keeps me fit. It keeps the horses fit. So, you know, we just, uh, we get there in time for them to rest and recover. And that's the other good thing about AERC is you've got friends all along the way. When you say, okay, I'm driving through Louisiana or, okay, uh-huh. I'm in Kansas. Where, you know, who do we know here? And it's right. a great network that we're lucky to have. Yes, yes. It, it's so addicting. It sounds like you're thoroughly addicted. <laughs> well, so that's what, just it, you know. <laughs> what are you looking forward to in 2019? Hmm. Well, we're actually, I'm working with a couple of young riders. The USA Southeast, you know, our AERC Southeast region, we have had a long history of building up kids. And, I mean, we like it. I, as a university professor, I see kids that, that are involved in outside activities that tend to do better and stay focused and perform better. So we have fundraisers for the kids. And this year, we've got the World Young Rider Endurance Championships that will be in Italy in September. Mm-hmm. And I know of at least four kids from the Southeast, and I'm working with two of them, and we've got to get them qualified for the world. So... We're going to be, you know, we started in December because you have to do like three 75-mile races. One has to be at a minimum speed. And so we're, you know, we're trying to get the kids qualified. And Broxton Bridge, which is a nice South Carolina ride that has, oh, so many electrical hookups you would never run out and great, great (laughs) hospitality. We've got a big ride there. And our AERC riders come out and support us. And it's, you know, we have bonfires and everybody's, we have team competitions for the kids. And that's the focus of this year or would be getting the kids ready for the Worlds. And we're also hoping to host a North American championship for seniors and young riders. Oh, neat. So, you know, Canada will send teams. Mexico will send teams. We were just talking, you know, Mexico expects to send two teams. And each zone, now the AERC zones don't exactly match the FEI zone. Right. Uh-huh. For example, there's a pack south, a pack north in terms of the Pacific, and then mm-hmm. you've got central and southeast and northeast. But each team can send, or each zone can send three teams. So we're going to make it a fun competition. 
and bring new people in to try these team activities because, you know, we all compete, but it needs to be fun and we need to go, okay, how can we work together to support each other? Mm-hmm. So we are hoping to get approval this week to go ahead with the North American Championships. Um, in late November, we want to keep it far enough away from the eight ERC nationals that we can get our Western riders. You know, they can, they can fly out and borrow our East Coast horses. Okay. So we're going to make it very user friendly and, you know, just try to try to go back to why do we all do this and bring in some new people, get some of the green beans involved and say, yeah, this is why I picked this sport and this is where I want to stay. Right. Right. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you for joining us today and congratulations again on your very successful 2018 ride season. All right, guys. Thank you for having me, and y'all have a good day, okay? Okay, you too. Bye, Bye. Cheryl. Bye, Cheryl. No, that was fun. I love talking to people I have not met before, and I think it's really exciting that she's got four decade team horses and that she's even riding at international levels. Isn't that great? She didn't even even mention the fact that she not only – is an amazing and accomplished endurance rider. She pretty much like lives at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, she's got she's got some serious mileage on her truck. Woo! <laughs> her truck and her horses. Yeah. Dang. Well, I I see that Glenn has already got Lisa ready for us. So let's get going. Terrific. Well, our next guest is Lisa Schneider. She's a uh, long-term um she's another rider with a lot of endurance history between herself and her family and she's an AARC board member and she's joining us today to tell us about some of the new world changes for this new ride season. Welcome Lisa. Good morning Karen. Good morning Jen. And uh, I just have to to make a, a brief comment about the, the last guest and her four decade team horses uh, with kudos to you Karen for starting the whole decade team concept. That has it, it's the shot heard around the world, literally. Thanks, Lisa. People aspiring to that. That's just an awesome accomplishment uh, and a feather in your cap, Karen. Isn't it great that there's so many? I mean, 46 new ones this last ride season. That's terrific because I know when I first started, some years there were only my, maybe seven. And so the the concept of longevity and keeping our horses going long term has really grown. And so I think that's that's the best part. I, I think over the last four or five years, there have been at least 30 and some as high as 56 that I could recall. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, that's just amazing and something that us AARC members should be very, very, very proud of. Definitely. And and Cheryl sounds like she's an amazing writer that she's got four and she's, you know, representing us at the um, World Equestrian Games this year, this last year, which is pretty cool. She is an amazing writer. She absolutely is. And the care she takes of her horses, it, it's just really educational to sit back as a spectator or a volunteer and watch someone of that caliber compete because it's very different from the standard AERC rides when you're looking at a, 
FEI ride or a WED level ride. And um, you just have to be at the top of your game with everything. Everything mm-hmm. counts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Okay, well, tell us what's new with AARC as far as any rules changes for the 2019 ride season. Um, there's two main things. Um, the first one has to do with limited distance. Uh, several years ago, uh, uh, a whole group of limited distance riders approached me, and I know they approached other board members and asked, why does the post down time have to be included in the ride time? It's not like that for endurance. So the purpose of this rule is to make it more like endurance and uh, the endurance distances, that is. And it mostly affects the riders at the back of the pack who want to take the full ride time and not Mm -hmm. have to worry about pulsing down within that time. So you now have 30 minutes after the max course completion time to pulse down. So let me give you an example because sometimes this stuff can uh, be much clearer uh, with an example. Um, Thank you. Thank if you, you have a 25-mile ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jennifer is just getting mile ride. started. So this is this applies to her. <laughs> I'm listening carefully. Oh, well, welcome, Jennifer. That's great. Um, if, we, if you have a 25-mile ride, and let's say it starts at 8 o'clock, and you have one 30-minute hold, that's kind of the usual thing, although those hold times can vary. But so if you start at eight, you got a 30 minute hold, you have six hours to complete the 25 mile course, including the hold time. So that means your max course completion time will be at two o'clock. And your ride time is five hours and 30 minutes, which is your six hours minus the 30 minute hold. Riders then have 30 minutes to pulse down so you have to reach criteria by 2.30 in my little example here. And you have to do the post-ride evaluation within one hour of crossing the finish line. So only the post criteria needs to be done within the, the 30 minutes. The rest of the vet check can be done a total of one hour after crossing the finish line. So the nice thing about that is you can go back to your rig, take your tack off, clean up your horse, feed and water your horse, take care of them, and then go to the vet to finish the rest of the post-ride uh, vet check. So that, that's something that's been asked for by a lot of limited-distance riders for a while now. And this also makes it easier for ride management and the volunteers, too, doesn't it? It, it does because you don't have quite the crowd uh, jamming the vet check at, at the same time that people right. are trying to pull stuff. Sometimes those are in different locations, and that means you're spreading the volunteers out even more. So it is good for ride management as well. Okay. And so was there, are there any other new rules? There is. Um, you know, we have an incredible vet committee. I think there's 20 people on it, uh, representatives from all over the country. And the chair is Jay Merrow, and she is tasked with, keeping abreast of all the, not all, because that's impossible, but most of the (laughs) the latest developments, especially in the high-tech world. Um, There are a lot of newer devices that are coming out, and the purpose of this change is to really underscore the term performance enhancing. It becomes even more important 
where you have these new high-tech devices available because we want to keep a, a level playing field. So they, the vet committee stays abreast of the latest developments that may afford some riders an advantage. Um, and one of these new devices, it, it, I find it very interesting, and you can see how it would be a big benefit um, if it does work exactly as advertised, um, it's called a P3, which is a class of external magnetic field generators. You know, I had to go look this up. It's I'm very like, sci-fi sounding. <laughs> it, it is. And, and, and what is it and how does it work and, and why would it be beneficial to the horse such that it could be performance enhancing? Um, these are also called electropulse generators and it's supposed to do a whole lot of things, uh, some of which are speed healing in tendons, suspensories, backs, stifles, uh, muscle soreness, increased blood circulation, reduce inflammation. Uh, apparently, it can make you coffee in the morning and start <laughs> your car on snowy days. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure how much of that is true, but enough of it is true to warrant a, a uh, adding it to the list of prohibited treatments. Okay. So it it is allowed up to 72 hours prior to the pre-ride exam. It can't be used during a ride, obviously, and up to the post-ride completion exam or best condition judging if you're a top 10 because you're still considered to be competing if you're, you're going for mm-hmm. uh, best condition. So... Um, those are the two main changes to our rules, and um, like I said, the, the vet committee has a, a heck of a, a task, a, a ongoing task in front of them to, to keep abreast of all these new developments. Um, some of these machines are very, very expensive, and uh, some have been offered at rides um, at, for a fee. So the person buys them and then brings them to a ride and offsets the, their costs by uh, renting them out to people to use at rides. So okay. that, again, it, it becomes an affordability issue. If this thing is you know, $25,000 or more, um, not everybody can afford that. And it, it doesn't leave a, a level playing field for all of the horses. Right. So that's the, the purpose okay. behind this rule change. Okay. Well, these seem like pretty simple additions. Uh, they are. They are. The The limited distance one is, is really the biggie because um, as we were doing our research on this, it came to light that different regions are, have been applying the uh, prior rule very differently. So we want to get the word out, and uh, there's been articles in Endurance News to help this um, and make sure that everybody's doing it the same way. Uh, and that that's, consistency is really important across the board as well. So if you travel, like I know you do, Karen, from one region to another, you can expect that the limited distance rules would be the, the exact Consistent. same and applied the same way. Okay. Exactly. Yes, that's that does make sense. And it does make things, I think, a little bit less stressful for the riders that come in, you know, like you said, that are riding slower and closer to the, you know, cutoff time. They don't have to stress now about not getting their pulse in time. 
Yes, and, and that's been a big deal for people, especially on multi-days where they, they don't want to push the horse. They want to be able to ride multiple days in a row. And um, that way they can they can have a, a more even pace. And, uh, you know, the welfare of the horse is always paramount. Right, right. Well, thank you for joining us and keeping us informed on what's new with AERC rules. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, Jen, I look forward to hearing about your ride adventures. Oh, you don't want to hear about them. (laughs) (laughs) Now I really want to hear about them. (laughs) Thanks, Bunch Lisa. This has been fascinating stuff. I'm going to have to work on my time and math skills, I see. Well, stick with Karen. Uh, so, so, guys, you know, her pacing was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Have a great day. <laughs> uh, take care. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. I just need a better math chip. I just do. Well, th- basically what it is is when you finish, if you're going to do an LD ride, you finish. They're going to write down your finish time on your card, but you now have a half an hour to get your pulse time. But that's at the end, not at the break that's in the middle. The, that's at the end. At Although the end. during the ride, you still also have, you know, 30 minutes to get your pulse as well. But before you had the maximum ride time. So if it was a 25 with the six hour ride time, you still had to meet pulse criteria within that six hours. So now you can come in at six hours and still have another 30 minutes. So they basically give you an extra 30 minutes to get things finished because... If you need it, yes. Because, because officially in endurance, you're not finished until your horse passes that pulsing out aspect at the end. That's right. when your time stops. That's when you're finished. With the LDs, yeah. Yeah. yes. So, it's so um, confusing. But, and I know. And, but... I think this makes it a little bit simpler because also like if you're on a a large ride and say six or eight LD riders come in to finish at the same time, you know, before they're, you know, they had, they're all clamoring and trying to get their pulses taken. And sometimes there might only be two or three pulse checkers. Well, and And, yeah. And yeah, this last one I was at, I think there was only two and at the opposite end of the, of the ride at the start, there were uh-huh. 26 entrants in my division. Uh-huh. 26 horses trying to start at the same time. If you wanted to stay back from the crowd so that you had a horse that right. that doesn't like to be in, in the thick of things, you didn't start till 15 minutes after they did. So right there, you're, 50, you're 15 minutes longer sure. than everybody else. So this, I think, is going to be very useful to encourage people right. to mm-hmm. ride the ride they need to and not have to stress too to much about stress about right. because it's amazing how six hours gets sucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? <laughs> it's like where'd the like time when you go? Mentioned that we're out there riding all day, but it goes by pretty quick. It, it does. It yes, seems to. It does. You know, and then quick. next thing you know, you're driving home and you're stiff and sore getting out of your truck. <laughs> How you know did that what happened again? You know what's the longest though? This last one I went to um, was supposed to be my first twenty-five, so it was the first time I got to experience the hold, which is the part in the middle of the race. In this case, uh-huh. the twenty-five. There's a middle. There's a 
a first and second loop, that you have to take a break. You have to do the pulsing out so that the horse is gets the thumbs up to continue riding. Uh-huh. Uh, now, that, mind you, the, the, the rider doesn't have to vet check, just the horse. But the hold right. was an hour. Oh. And yes, by the time that hour went up, oh, my faster. gosh, I could barely move. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes the holds go by so fast and other times it's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. You know, Um, yes, that when they do an hour hold on an LD, unless it's like a longer LD, like a 30 or 35, it does eat into your ride time. Just like doing a 50 that has a bunch of vet check holds, Mm -hmm. You, you know, then you, you have to you know, make up for that on the trail by going a little bit faster. If, you know, if you're on the slower side mm-hmm. of things. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to try 2019 is going to be the year of attempting to be a turtle. Okay. Now Good. turtle turtling, if I have it right, have this right is a term that in the endurance discipline of intentionally riding the ride slowly. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it can be quite a competition for last place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to do it because of Nigel's brain health, because he, uh-huh. being a thoroughbred, he gets really overly excited about the whole thing. Yeah, Arabs kind of do, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of hoping I can get into his little brain that there's no hurry here. Just relax and take your time. We're okay. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the goal. And, and uh, I've, I've, going to sort out a couple of ride buddies so that he can have somebody that he can decide that I need to stay with this horse because that's what I'm doing today. And okay. fret now, less. have you got yeah. any rides planned? Have you got something there coming are, up? I place? have a total of four that I can get to on the calendar oh, for the good. season. Um, the next one's the beginning of February, and I'm still tossing around. <laughs> I, th- well, I think what I'm going to do is – I'm going to go out. The The venue is down at the horse park, which is a 20-minute drive away. Perfect. Awesome. Oh, that's great. Um, but part of the issue is the whole going away from home, being around a crowd of horses. You know, it gets them all amped up. So I'm going to plan out several times where I go out to the horse park and just park the horse trailer, go for a ride, put him back in his pen, and sit around all day. Just so he gets <laughs> through that because he gets uh-huh. wound up. Sure. Yeah. They do. I'm going to hope I have good Wi-Fi out there and then I can work too. Yeah. (laughs) Recorded live at the Florida Horse Park. (laughs) I think it probably will have good internet out there. We have a lot of rides where there's no cell service, nothing. Yeah. And and it's actually kind of nice to get cut off from the rest of the world. It just makes me squeamish. (laughs) Oh, you'll get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) Something's going to go wrong and I won't know about it. Which is good. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. There you go. Well, speaking of uh, figuring things out as a green bean, uh, you have some endurance clinics listed in the show notes this year. What's this going on? We do. Well, first of all, we've got the AERC annual convention coming up March 8th and 9th at the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, Nevada. And that's always fun. That's the annual awards are given out as well as they've got a lot of different educational seminars and stuff that the writers can attend. And that's always a lot of fun to get to go and see all your endurance writing pals cleaned up. You probably won't recognize some of them (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> without their horse. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we've also got some endurance clinics. January 12th, we've got one. And um, I've never heard of this, but it's California, Kentucky. I guess there's a town named California that's in Kentucky. I didn't know. I didn't know that either. And so they have a uh, endurance riding clinic there. They've got one March 16th in Adrian, Oregon. May 17th through the 19th, there's one in Gilroy. And I think this is a full-on two-day clinic where you can bring your horses and they get you through the entire introduction of uh, endurance. Cool. A little bit of everything. And then finally, June 8th, there's another clinic in Oregon in Sheridan. Cool. So, so to where, find where more, can people find all of those at, and more? Uh, go to the AERC.org website. There we go. And go. There you go. Find today's links at horsesinthemorning.com. If you haven't done so already, go over to Facebook and like us and follow us, Horses in the Morning. And you can follow us on Twitter too. Our handle is Horse Radio. Make sure you have the Horse Radio Network app so you can have all the shows or just a few of the shows if you like with you wherever you go. It's available for iPhone or Android. Go to your app store and download it. It's free and easy to use. You can also listen through almost every podcast player in the universe. And thank you very much to Renegade for helping to bring us this show this week. And we will see you in another month, Karen. Thank you, and everybody, wear your helmets and be safe out there.